Good morning, everyone. Kids, thanks for leading us this morning. That was encouraging and awesome. Like you, little people, I grew up going to church. And I I guess, frankly, apart from eating and sleeping, this this may be as true as it gets right here. Apart from eating and sleeping, it was probably the most consistent aspect of my family's life. I mean, each Monday morning at the school that I went to, Shannon and I went to elementary and junior high school at the same place, a Christian school in Eastridge. And every Monday morning of my school-age life, our teacher would take attendance and, and throw out our name, Chris Gaither, or Chris probably. And I would say, here. And then every Monday morning, the next question had to do with church attendance, which was the next, next thing. Happened just the day before. And, and we would have to respond with one of three answers. We would either say, church, which meant we attended church the morning before, or Sunday school, which we only went to Sunday school, or both, right? So this is kind of the, the just kind of the mantra and the habit and the lifestyle that I grew up in at the uh, school and church, and this was a big aspect and part of my life. And, and in addition to that, you know, on Sunday evenings, this is going somewhere, not just to show you my church attendance, but on Sunday evenings, an hour before the Sunday night worship service, we would go to training union. And then we would have the seven o'clock service. And on Wednesday nights, I think it was Wednesday nights, could have been Sunday nights, we would have as children royal ambassadors or whatever mission study that we were a part of, right? So I say all that to say that that was a pretty consistent part of my life. But there was one thing, and you got to be an old head to be able to stand up here and say this. There was one thing that I rarely did in church. At least the church that I grew up in. For some reason or another, we would rarely sing the third verse of any song. Was this just my church or yours as well? I mean, you could just set your clock to the regularity of the song leader standing up there, and when he neared the end of verse 2, he was going to throw up his hand with the number four to signal to the world that we're skipping the, in, the unimportant verse 3 and we're moving on to the better part of the song or the end, which he might have made that decision in the spur of the moment based on either the singing irregularity of the congregation or the need to stop this service and end it pretty quickly. But there was a hymn that we sang a lot growing up and uh, maybe you sang it a lot in your church, but we never sang the third verse. And the song was, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus. The third verse has this as their lyrics. And because we rarely sang the third verse, I had no idea that it contained the key to the armor of God. Listen to these words. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Now listen to this. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, 
be never wanting there. Prayer. Here's the thesis of the morning. Prayer is the atmosphere in which the believer puts on every piece of the armor of God. And grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, grace is the means by which the believer has been given his or her armor in the first place. So this morning we conclude not only our study of the armor of God, but we we conclude our study in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we'll consider a few things. We'll see how Paul calls the church of Ephesians to pray. We'll see his own personal request for prayer. And then finally, as a part of our Lord's Supper celebration this morning, we'll see his twofold benediction. Um, and before we read this passage, would you allow me to lead us in prayer? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your grace. The song we just sang spoke of Your never-ending grace. Never-dying grace. Lord, may the immortality of Your grace be the constant reminder for us that You have provided us all that we need to stand firm in the battle that wages around us. Lord, as we seek to study Your Word this morning and as I stand here to preach it and to teach Your Word, would You give me not only the boldness, but the clarity by which um, we can see Your Scripture and apply it to our lives, Lord, we pray. In the blessed and holy name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to do a no-no and start right in the middle of a sentence, but beginning with verse 18. Chapter 6, verse 18. And I'm going to read all the way through to the end of the chapter. The majority of our time this morning will be spent on verses 18 through 20. This is the word of the Lord. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21. We've met this gentleman before. We were introduced to him in our study of Colossians. So that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is the word of the Lord for us, His people. And I pray He will add richly to the reading of His word. We begin this look 
of this passage, we begin this walk through this passage just on the heels of this instruction of putting on the armor of God. And, and, and Paul goes directly into this call to pray, as we've seen. And with Paul's call to pray is the express instruction for each of us to get dressed, put on the whole armor of God, to get dressed with unceasing prayer. I want to start out our time just jumping into this with somewhat of a confession. Um, I've often read through Paul's teaching on the armor of God, and there are six elements and six pieces of the armor that we've studied thus far. And I've seen prayer as the, the seventh piece of the armor that God has given us. But I'm growing more and more convinced that, that we're not to see prayer as the seventh piece, but as I've already alluded to, it, not an additional piece of the armor, but in the, as the atmosphere in which we dress in every other piece. In fact, prayer is to be the atmosphere in which the believer does everything, moment by moment. And Paul mentions three things about the atmosphere of prayer that I hope will be helpful for us this morning. The first thing is this. Notice verse 18. That first thing that he mentions is that we would pray in the Spirit. Notice the passage. Praying at all times. If, you're a, if you note key words throughout any passage, you will note the repetitive nature of this three-letter word, all. You'll see it four times before the sentence is even concluded. Praying at all times, and then listen to these words, in the Spirit. Now our Pentecostal friends and our, our, our Pentecostal brothers would have us believe that to pray in the Spirit is synonymous with speaking in tongues. But that's not at all what Paul is saying here, right? Prayer is our communication link in our relationship with God, and it is made possible through Jesus by way of the Holy Spirit. Think about the Holy Spirit. He is our helper. He is our counselor. I may be making up a word here, but He is our convictor. He is our teacher. And He is, he is all of those things for every true born-again believer. In fact, as Jess read, led us in the reading of uh, the opening words of Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, toward the end of that, in about verse 13 and 14, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So think about this through prayer and through our time aided by the Holy Spirit. Our communication and our abiding with God, our intimacy with God through the Holy Spirit, is, it's only a foretaste of glory divine, right? But, but until we see Christ face to face, and in, until that which is guaranteed for us now is seen in reality face to face there, we do have this guarantee of the Holy Spirit, and, and He is the guarantee of our future inheritance. And how do we enjoy that? How do we delve into that? How do we mine that? We do that through one way, through prayer in the Spirit. Okay? Now by God's grace, we walk by the Spirit. And I say by God's grace that we walk by the Spirit and we do so 
um, refusing and dying to our temptation and, and desire in the natural to walk in the flesh, right? We walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh and by the Spirit of the living God. And even our prayer life, and I want you to hear that, even our prayer life comes up under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And this growth in this area of our prayer life and praying in the Spirit, it's part of our sanctification, right? It's part of our gradual growing up in Him, Jesus, and our gradual growing in righteousness. In the weakness of our flesh, which even verse 3 of Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus alludes to, but in the weakness of our flesh, listen, we don't even know how to pray as we ought, right? But the good news of the gospel is this, and I want you to hear this, that we don't even have to pray on our own, truly. We don't have to pray on our own strength because we have the Holy Spirit living in us who is making intercession for us. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 8. In a great treatise on the doctrine of the gospel, Paul writes the whole book of Romans, but he narrows in on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian in Romans chapter 8. And I want to read some of the verses from Romans chapter 8 just to kind of underline the Spirit's role in our lives as we choose to die to ourselves and walk according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, starting at verses 12. And I'm going to read, I'm going to read a long passage here, 12 through 17. Hear what Paul says about the role of the Spirit in us. He says this, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, we are heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Do you see what he's doing here in this section? He's, he's showing how the Holy Spirit in us is confirming for us the reality of our new birth. He puts a resonating sense of His Spirit that's resonating in our heart from which we're able to cry, Abba, Father. And it's by His Spirit and by His grace that we run away from the deeds of the flesh and our whole pattern of desires change. And that's the Spirit's work in us, growing us into the image of Jesus. That's not all the Spirit does, according to Romans chapter 8. Looking down at verses 26 and 27, he writes this. And here's where prayer comes into focus. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints 
according to the will of God. So how does this work? Consider where we've been prior to Paul's call to pray. As you are girding yourself with the belt of truth, the Spirit of the living God is using it to transform you and to inform you. And I want to just kind of pause right there with that inform you because He's informing you through the Scriptures about the very character and heart and nature and will of God. So that as you're growing in the Scriptures and as you're growing in conformity to Jesus, your prayers are taking on the nature of His heart, right? And your prayers, whether they're being whispered throughout the day or spoken or sung or like the psalmist, shouted out in lament. They're doing so in His name and according to His will. This is part of what Paul is saying. Pray at all times in the Spirit. That's not the only thing he says about prayer here, and that's a pretty brief description of praying in the Spirit, I must confess. But Paul may be alluding to the very fact that our prayers... They do not follow certain formulas, right? But they take various forms throughout the course of our day. That's why he says this in the next section, that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit. And then he adds this, with all prayer. And may we follow this pattern, that we would pray with every kind of prayer. The way our house is positioned on the top of the ridge there on, off of Pin Oak Road where we live, we're greeted each morning. It was just such a grace. But we're, we're greeted each morning with a front row seat of the sun as it rises up over that ridge to the east. And it's, it's difficult to watch and just kind of imagine. I'm imagining here. But it's difficult to watch as the Lord just slowly adjusts the dimmer on the light of the sun that he created and hung in space and see the magnitude of that color come out over that ridge and not whisper or audibly say a prayer of adoration and worship at who he is and at his hand. The heavens declare the glories of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And as we look out that window and we see the majesty of his hand, it's hard for one form of our prayer in that moment not to be, wow. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer. So whether the moment calls for prayers of adoration or confession or thanksgiving or or lament. Prayer has no need for scheduling. Right? And if we seek to stand firm in the Lord and in the strength of His might, Ephesians 6.10, how this whole section began, it will involve praying at all times in the Spirit with all kinds of prayer. And finally, we'll see here that we pray with hopeful confidence. That's a lot to add to the one word that he says, which is just supplication. But I want you to see that we have been given invitation to pray with hopeful 
confidence. The Scripture says this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. The word supplication alludes to requests that are made known to God. And obviously these requests, these supplications are going to vary by degrees, right? As to earnestness, as to urgency, but they're not they're not only welcomed by God, our prayers of supplication, but we have been invited by Him to make them known to Him through prayer and our supplications. Is this because He doesn't know about them until we say them? Of course not, right? It isn't because He doesn't know of our need, but, but it's because we grow in our dependence on Him and we grow in our trust in Him as we take all of our needs to the Lord in prayer. This leads to the practical application of stepping our feet. I'm taking you back through the armor, right? As we step our feet into the shoes of readiness, which comes from the gospel of peace. Galatians, Ephesians, the next book after Philippians, in the order of our Bible. It's not the order that he wrote them, but the next one in our Bible is the book of Philippians. The fourth chapter of Philippians, verses 6 and 7, Paul also gives this strong admonition of prayer and making our supplications known to him. But he adds to that this time what comes with that is a blessing when we speak to him with hopeful confidence that he is going to respond when we pray according to his will, according to his name. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything. The skeptic in us would say, this is clearly written by someone who has no clue about the hard things that I'm walking through. Until you realize the things that Paul's walked through. And walking through. To include writing the book of Philippians while imprisoned and chained between the Praetorian Guard. Do not be anxious about anything. Why? But in everything, by prayer, here's the next word, and supplication. So not just this, these prayers of adoring God for who He is and His majesty and His bigness, but also to lay those requests out at His feet. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. What kind of thanksgiving is to accompany our prayers of supplication? It would not be the boastful confidence of thanking Him ahead of time for answering our prayers according to our demands, but thanking Him in accordance with the fact that we lay our supplications at His feet and we have a growing trust that He knows better about what's good for us to form us into His image, his, the image of His Son, and we can thank Him ahead of time, either for the hard thing for which we are praying, or the way that He's going to answer it in a way that brings Him the most glory and us the most good. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And listen to this. See if you hear a piece of the armor when I read this next verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you hear the the shoes of the gospel of readiness? Do you hear about the helmet of salvation? And do you see how the placement and the dressings of those pieces and articles happen within the atmosphere of prayer? I hope you do. Because it is through prayer that we are to get dressed. And it's through prayer that we are to stay alert. Notice our next verse in the second part of verse 18. Keep alert and keep praying. Keep alert and keep praying. So Paul concludes his thought there, but he's not finished with this whole thought of prayer. He says, to that end, to that end, knowing that this invitation for you to pray in the Spirit with all prayers and all supplication, to that end, he says, keep alert with all perseverance. About this, all I'm going to say is this. Keep alert, Paul says, and persevere in prayer. May the pattern of your life, I'm I'm trying to speak this over us, may the pattern of our life be continual prayer so the fruit of your life might be peace regardless of your circumstance. Keep alert and keep praying. Look at this next section, starting with the almost, you're at the end of verse 18 now, all the way through 20. Paul gives a request, or actually multiple requests, for prayer. Notice the first request he makes happens in 18, the last part there. Paul prays and calls the church to pray for each other, right? He says, making supplication for all the saints. You will have no greater expression of love for others than when you take the time to pray for them. And you will have no change of heart in your heart towards someone that you're kind of cold to or don't even like as you commit yourself to pray to. Watch the effect of your affections on them change as a result of your willingness and commitment to make supplication for their good on their behalf. Keep alert. Keep praying. As the uh, call for us as the church to pray for each other. The second thing I want you to see is how Paul, starting at verse 19, calls the church to pray for him. I find this interesting and want you to kind of check this out. Let me read verse 19 through 20. And also pray for me. And also pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. First off, I am am seriously quite taken by the way that Paul recognized his own need for prayer. And how he counted on his brothers and sisters. That I mean, He's not in the room with them, right? He's, he's in house arrest in Rome, but he's, he's writing back to them and he's, he's counting on his brothers and sisters in the Lord to intercede on his behalf as he's modeled throughout this whole letter. 
I had in every intention during my time with you this morning is to walk us back through the book of Ephesians and show you the prayers that he is praying on behalf of the church of Ephesus, how he's praying that they would grow in their confidence in Christ and the power that's available through, to them through their union. But alas, time won't allow me to take the time to do that. But I do want you to see that Paul has not only exemplified his willingness and desire and heart to intercede for the body, but now he is exemplifying and practicing this, this acknowledgement and need to have the body be praying for them. And I do not want this example and practice to be lost on us, Redeemer. With our limited time, I want to just kind of pull out three words from his prayer request as potential fuel for you and fuel for myself um, as you are praying for your brothers and sisters here at Redeemer and, and I unashamedly um, request that you pray for your pastors. These things. These three words. I don't think I gave these to you, Xander. Forgive me. Might have, might have happened this morning. <laughs> um, but these three words are this. Clarity. Courage. Chains. Clarity. Courage. And chains. And just say a word about each of these. Um, number one, clarity. Think about where Paul is. Paul under house arrest. His preaching and teaching ministry now is limited to those who, frankly, are welcomed. He's able to welcome them into where, whatever his quarters are. But his teaching and preaching ministry, instead of the masses, is now at a point in season in his life where it's limited to how he could welcome people into his quarters of confinement. So that is, as I understand it, to include those whom he welcomed and those guards that were keeping him kept secure. The last two verses of the book of Acts, chapter 28, we read this about what's going on in Paul's life here. Here's what it says. He lived there in confinement. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming. I want you to hear the word proclaim. We'll see it in Ephesians in just a second. But the word proclaim is not just preaching. It's not just talking. It is proclaiming with the desire and intent to uncover the lid that has kept something concealed up to that point. So as he is with folks who are coming to his home, or he's talking to guards about the kingdom of God, he's proclaiming it with the desire and hope that the Spirit would take his words, clarity, and, and make it such that it has effect in the heart of those who are hearing, so that the lid is taking off of something that had previously been hidden from them. The mystery of the gospel, right? So back to our thing. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This was of the grace of God. But 
in that confinement, I can only imagine that Paul knew his time was short. And he's writing to the Ephesians because he knew he needed prayer so that no word would be wasted in his desire to see the mystery of the gospel clearly understood and embraced by those who had eyes to see and who have ears to hear, or who had ears to hear. And I pray that God would not only offer and issue clarity from this pulpit, from this sacred desk, or your small group, but that God would so grace us all with the same sense of urgency as He adds His clarity to, our, to the message that we're trying to speak out. Whether it's by guests who come into your home, strangers you meet, or as, as men stand behind this space and open up God's Word and say, Thus saith the Lord. May He add clarity to our desire and urgency to our mission. Second word. Courage. Although a bastion of boldness, Paul asked the Ephesians to pray that he would have the boldness to open his mouth. This is, this is a conundrum to me. But he does. So maybe there's something inside of him in the natural or in the flesh that might have had a tendency to back up when the message he had to speak and proclaim he knew was going to be hard to hear. Nothing in the New Testament shows us that that would have been a characteristic But now he's praying to the Ephesians, asking them to pray for him to have a level of courage and boldness to speak out in spite of the potential dangers that might have been coming his way or had already come his way. And to that end, I would ask you to pray specifically for the same for those of us. I preaching up here, Bill and Mark, as they have the occasion to do that, when they're shouldered with both the pleasure and the burden to be here, that in spite of the increasingly counter-cultural message that we proclaim, that they and I would do so faithfully and boldly to the glory of our King and for the sake of all who will hear. And may God take His Word by His Spirit and open up the eyes and minds and hearts of those who receive it. And may through it, people receive life. In spite of what their flesh is telling them they want to hear. Right? Third thing, finally. Chains. Paul identified himself as an ambassador in chains. I'm struck by what's missing here. I've got to tell you what I'm writing if I'm writing this letter. I'm in prison with no hint of escape. The only thing that's going to be next for me is my execution. In this letter, I'm praying for clarity, praying for courage. I'm praying to escape like Peter did in the time of Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3. But it's missing from Paul's request. Paul didn't pray that his wrist would be loosed from chains. Paul prays that his tongue would not be chained. Paul didn't pray that he would be set free. 
But Paul prays that the Gospel would be freely shared with courage and with clarity. Ambassadors all over the world gather as they represent their sovereign and as they represent their nation and they are wearing their finest clothes, they're wearing their medals that, that kind of give hint of the power of their king and their kingdom and their whatever sovereign leader that they're there representing as an ambassador. And it's kind of with a little strut that they represent and speak on behalf of whoever it is they're representing. But the chains that Paul wore were chains that held him captive in a cell or in his apartment, whatever it was he was living in. But in nowhere does he articulate a shame to that. But he wears it as a garland of grace, having been seen as worthy to be called as the missionary and minister to the Gentiles, taking a message that was meant for the Jewish people, but made available and opened up to by God Himself, whosoever will. And you and I, as we sit and as we study this Word, as we, we, we learn what it means to, to walk in um, uh, a, a worthy manner before the Lord, and as we seek to stand in the strength of His might, and as we dress up in the armor, and we do so putting on each piece with prayer, we recognize that we're doing so as ambassadors to a great king. And we also know, as we've said before, that there's coming a day where we're going to trade and replace our armor for robes. We did not sing verse 3 very often in our church. But we would gladly skip to verse 4 on most occasions. Listen to verse 4 of stand up. Stand up for Jesus. Verse 3 taught us how to put things on each piece with prayer. Verse 4 says this, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. The strife will not be long. This day the noise of battle. Does anyone know the next word? The next, the victor's song. To him that overcometh, a crown of life shall be. He with the King of glory shall reign eternally. Until that day, Redeemer, until that day, that glorious day of the Lord, may you stand firm as a soldier. May you stand firm as an ambassador of the King, putting on each piece of your armor with prayer all throughout the day, and having done all to stand firm. This morning we're going to take a pause to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And after we sing uh, a song of response, but also a song that helps us to reflect on that day that's coming, I want to come back and just share the twofold words of a benediction that Paul offers and I want us to use those words of that benediction to lead us in a time of remembrance of the Lord's Supper table. Okay, So let me pray, and then we will um, sing a song together, and then I'll come back up and um, close.
close this time and welcome us into a time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this armor, not only that we're reading about, but the armor that You've provided that we might be able to stand firm against the fiery darts of our enemy. Well, we recognize that our enemy is strong, but we have full confidence because of the empty grave that You are stronger and You are the victor. So Lord, thank You for providing armor that we can put on each piece with prayer and having done all that we could to stand, to stand firm in the power of Your might. Lord, we look forward to that day where we trade our robes in and we know that we can only do that. We can only have that hope because of what You've provided by grace. We celebrate You this morning. We thank You. I realize that there are folks in this room who are, who are hearing about the confidence that we can have because of our relationship with You, Jesus. And they've never trusted You as Lord and Savior. They've never surrendered their life to You. They've never repented of sin, asked You to forgive them of their sin, to apply Your blood, Jesus, and Your righteousness for their life. And to give them life brand new and to, help, to allow them and empower them to be born again. If they're in this room and that's the state of their heart, would you so move in them, even as we sing, to confess before you their need for you, Jesus, as their Savior. And we will thank you for how you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. If I could invite you to stand as Rich leads us in this.